In the watch enthusiast universe, the watch enthusiasts are represented by two separate yet equally unimportant human beings. KC, who has nothing, and John John, who knows nothing. This is their podcast. The KC and John John Show! Hello everybody, and welcome to the 24th inaugural episode of KC and... John John! That's right. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to a new episode, a whole new week, a whole new episode of Casey and John John. And, and a whole new lockdown as well. A whole new lockdown, yes. Uh, b- before we start on our, you know, whole breaking news segment, uh, should we introduce our, our regular guest of the week? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, sure. Or you, you, you can do you it can yourself, hear uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're too lazy to introduce you. Just just tell people who you are uh, and why you're here. It's Marshall, as <laughs> usual. Crashing Our the show. Our little guardian. No, Hi. no, 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 no. Hi. Oh, you're, you're basically <laughs> the Zach de la Roca to outrun the jewels. Wow. Wow, not, okay. Not to our <laughs> rage against the machine. <laughs> okay, no, mind. because like, run the jewels is a rap duo. And, but, okay, fine. But, Zach but we are raging is, against Zach, the machine. Yeah, we are. We are raging against a lot of things, especially with our. We work. are raging against a very massive machine today. Foreshadowing. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before before we begin, as usual, we just like to thank all our listeners. Uh, I have good news, John. This mm-hmm. week, we are actually back up to ten. <gasps> we are back up to ten. We are back up to oh, ten listeners. We are back in the double that's digits. Great news. There is hope for this year. And as you've mentioned, Malaysia has gone into a lockdown again. And yes. hopefully, you know, while people are bored at home, more people will tune in. Uh, hopefully, you know, yeah, one like of the bright else, sides. What else are people going to do aside from like yeah. furiously masturbate and drink? Exactly. What, what, one of the bright sides to a national emergency. You know, you have to always have to look on the bright side. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, as uh, moving on to our non-disclaimer, which is basically to say that if you take issue with anything we say, uh, go ask Marshall at Marsh underscore Kai on Instagram. Just go ask him. Just yeah, I won't, don't bother us. Just yeah, I won't respond. So yeah, just just don't, <laughs> don't, bother. don't bother us. Just yeah. just just go to him. Yeah, you can submit just your complaints, right but I just I just don't care. I'm sorry, but no, I'm not sorry. But yeah, uh, it, it feels good, John, to no longer have to do a disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's, it it makes our podcast a slightly bit shorter, or we yeah, or yeah, allows us more time to talk about other kinds of nonsense. Yeah. <clears throat> it allows us to go on more tangents as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, today, uh, for our first weekly segment of the week, uh, which is our cliche corner, we are going to address uh, something that kind of bothers me, actually. And it's the term mil-spec or tactical. Mil-spec, mm-hmm. of course, meaning military specification. And mm-hmm. tactical meaning, I guess, you know, tactical, whatever that is. Thanks for getting yeah. straight into the meaning of it without having mm-hmm. me to come up with a two-minute spiel. If you of... want to, you can still go ahead. No, but, I'm good. You know. you've, already, you've ruined the moment. So. Yeah, because I, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Today. We do have so quite a lot to talk just, about. Yeah, yeah. so we're just going to skip ahead a little bit. But we, we can't forget Millspec. So what do you guys think of Millspec? Um, well, when I when I hear the term Millspec, I, just, I immediately think of that particular... Rolex Submariner. Right, okay. Yeah, sure. And that's about it. Sure. Yeah. That's like 60s, yeah. 70s? I guess. 
I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what what I understand from milspec is um, basically if you call whatever you make milspec, it means that you have made your product to a certain specification, but you were the lowest possible bidder. <laughs> <laughs> Because that, that's how the military works. They put out a tender. They say, we yeah, want yeah. this. And then you bid for it. And the lowest bidder wins. So you are getting something that may have decent specs, but it's made at the lowest possible price. Yes, like like a fixed, um, fixed lugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think so, yeah. And, nope. you know, that's that's not how we operate here on KC and Jordan. It's all about the flex. Yeah. We want the highest possible bidder to win. Yeah. Like, I want, not, I want my military to be wearing, like, Alanga and Zona, for example. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, yeah. they did I, make they did make Lange uh, fliegers back in the day, right? So, I, I, I never did. heard of... Exactly. Yeah, they did. But I don't think they were called Millspec. I don't know why or... But yeah. I, I feel yeah, Millspec mil seems to just be more for divers... What does it really like mean? The, like, like if the, you like the seals and all that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean you I, do I see a lot of that on divers, right? And then the few watches as well. Yeah, but yeah, few yeah. watches, mm. if you look at it, right? The Hamilton Kaki has what, 50 meters water resistance? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I guess they don't expect their infantrymen to go diving, I guess. Yeah. Mm. It's not mm. a lot of water yeah, in but, a field. But you know, I mean, as far as we watch enthusiasts are concerned. 50 meters of water resistance basically means splash proof. Yeah. Mm, yep. You know, that, that's how you hear people talk about it. Oh, 50 meters water resistance? No, no, no. Don't go swimming. Uh, if you wash your hands, it'd probably be okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that's how people talk about it. Despite the fact that, you know, 50 meters is pretty much as far, actually further than you can go as a recreational diver. Yeah. Mm. It's probably way yep. deeper than yeah. most of us have dived anyway yep exactly so so mm. i mean that that kind of tells you what mil spec is and i don't know man i i just feel like that usage of the word mil spec is really just to give it an air of um le legitimacy i guess mm. uh, you know i mean we all know that it's it's a marketing gimmick in today's yeah you know yeah. world so i think it really um yeah like you said it's, it really just for me, I feel like it really, um, as a as a normal layperson looking at watches, when you see mil spec, and then you look at a watch like a diver's watch or, or a field watch, and then you just think like, oh, okay, this watch really is made for the military, you know. So I think it, it adds to that utilitarian flair, I guess, in a sense. Okay. Yeah. I guess so. I guess mm. that makes sense in a way. But yeah. are there still watches I just now, feel it's... like new watches now that are called mil spec? Because I I feel like I have not heard that being used. I think they are, but I think they're, they're G-Shocks. Fair yeah. enough. So okay. I think like mm. G-Shocks and if I'm not mistaken, I feel Luminox or also uh, Marathon. Mm -hmm. I think those watches are also technically mil-spec. But I don't don't quote me on that because I'm not really sure. Yeah. yeah, modern watches, not so much, right? Nowadays, you see the term being thrown around like vintage watches a lot, especially vintage military watches. Yeah. I don't even know if they're actually called mil-spec, but the dealers just put it as mil-spec anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but so, there are a few, uh, few dirty dozen reissues, not reissues, but it's sort of like 
revivals and I think they I see them throwing the term around very loosely. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't yep. remember the brands, but they have a very similar aesthetic as you all would know, you know, with vintage military field watches. Yeah. Yeah. And it also goes along with tactical. Tactical, of course, is I think usually the term for if a manufacturer doesn't actually have mil spec, but mm. it's a watch that looks like it could be worn by someone from the military or law enforcement or something, then it becomes tactical. And it's usually black and anti-glare or camo or whatever kind of shit. But mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't personally see the appeal. Uh, I could see an appeal to a watch that was actually issued by the military. You know, that sort yeah. of like Hamilton khakis that were issued with the whole engraving on the case back. But just labeling your watch mill spec, eh. Yeah, it's got to have a bit of that uh, provenance, right? It has to be yeah. a watch from that era to sort of warrant the usage of that term. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. and of course, this is coming from a guy who loves the moon watch because it went to the moon, even though his watch was nothing to do with any of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. okay, so moving on. This is a good time to move on uh, to, I think, what a segment that we should start calling Friendy's Griper's Garage. <laughs> or maybe Friendy's Gripe Garage because I mean yeah. really, he's the only guy who's just... submitting <laughs> oh he's been submitting a bunch but uh, I think this week we're actually going to go a little bit of course and we're going to do uh, a gripe of our own mm-hmm. uh, and this one actually kind of bothers me and this one is uh, what, do Why you want to mention it John? Um, so we have the integrated bracelet or proprietary lugs which is uh, yes. Casey's Gripe Mm. Yeah. Um, why does it bug me? It bugs yeah, why me does because it bug you? the first watch that I ever got is an Orient M Sport. Uh, sorry, an Orient M Force. M Force, yeah. Yeah, and um, that watch has an integrated bracelet, mm-hmm. which means that I will never be able to explore the option of wearing it on anything else. Mm-hmm. And the stock bracelet is uh, not that great. Uh, mm. obviously you know, I didn't know much then I don't even know much now so I mean you can only imagine how little I knew back then yeah. so yeah I mean I, it, it just bugged me I just wish it had normal lugs so that I could have put some straps on it and stuff mm. well okay. I mean knowing you you are a frequent changer of your straps but like as for, as for like someone like me who kind of finds a strap and then just sticks with it. Mm. My gripe wouldn't necessarily be with the integrated bracelet, but like just the bracelet in general, just because I I would rather not have it on a bracelet. Yeah, and you wouldn't have mm. the option of changing it out. Yeah. So mm. it is gripe for you. Mm. Ha! Lawyered. Well I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about a Nautilus having integrated bracelet though. Mm. Fair. I mean that's where Marshall, what do you think? yeah that's where I sort of draw the line you know if if your your bracelet or if you have like a uh, like a proprietary lock to a certain model or I think it has to look good for, you know, that's first that's the first thing you have to consider the the bracelet has to look good the last thing I would want is a cheap ass bracelet and then you have a proprietary lock and then this just it just makes it difficult to change it out you know what I mean I don't mind having yeah, like a Nautilus. Yeah, correct. Like for example, um, I mean, we already know AP bracelets are actually 
pretty amazing for uh, in terms of construction and design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nautilus True. as well. Vacheron bracelets are pretty nice as well. Very nice yeah. buckle. Yep. It's so comfortable. Um, Dietrich's uh, Time Companion, the TC models, is very distinct. It has a hexagonal mm-hmm. look to the bracelet, and I think it's quite amazing as well. So those are the kind of watches which, you know, I don't mind having like an you know, integrated bracelet or perhaps even like proprietary lux. Yeah, and uh, sponsor is Dietrich. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Uh, but for, no, no, for... hold off on that for ambushing uh, Dietrich whenever he comes on. <laughs> oh, oh. Because that's our new thing. Foreshadowing. I mean, okay. Yeah foreshadowing <laughs> oh yeah we invite guests and we just ambush them from now on but yeah, yeah i mean uh like like you mentioned marsh i mean if if it's gonna have an integrated bracelet or strap it really has to be a good one yeah 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 because you're kind of stuck you yeah yeah right off my head i could think of a few like seiko models uh they just you know seiko bracelets right i think for the seiko fives especially mm-hmm. a lot of them have pretty crappy bracelets Yep. so rattly for some reason and they feel really hollow and then some of the watches they come on like proprietary lux and then uh integrated yep. bracelets those are just simply just terrible and it's such a yep. pain to actually go like i wouldn't want to spend money to custom make a, a specific strap just to fit a cheap ass echo 5 you know what i mean agreed so yeah. those those are you know those i just can't do those um, so, and you know, yeah. si- since John and I, we know a couple of uh, <laughs> custom strap makers. I think we can speak for them, uh, Eric and Mark on Instagram. Uh, I think we can definitely speak for them when we say that uh, making straps for integrated lugs, I mean integrated bracelet watches, is not their favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that would be an a huge understatement, actually. But yeah. Uh, so I think an exception to this is probably, as you mentioned, the Vacheron overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that comes with rubber and leather and the bracelet. So you yeah. really get all your options in one. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if you, if you're listening, Seiko, uh, your Seiko fives, uh, please start including, uh, quick, quick change leather straps yeah. and rubber straps with all yeah. your Seiko fives, uh, without increasing the price, please. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Also, a sponsorship would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, shout out to uh, shout out to the the, I mean, the Malaysian GM of Seiko, Michael. Uh, Michael, if you're hearing this, uh, sponsor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know it's been a while since I spoke to you, but yeah, yeah, you know, we're we're, we're out here, we're out here. So it's it's also not like the the it's not like the dress KX has not been mentioned every other week. So yeah, mm-hmm. you guys get mm-hmm. free publicity. We, yeah yeah man yeah so on the topic of uh integrated bracelets and proprietary lugs i think that's a convenient segue to our breaking news of the week uh and this bit of breaking news is is very much on brand uh for for the casey and john john show uh and it's about the system 51 Mm, yeah so uh it it kind of depends on which way we want to go with this uh we can either talk about their new release, the Petit Second, uh, which is you know obviously a small second at six, which I think was announced in April of last year. So that's about eight months ago, and that's kind of on brand for us, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still relatively or, or, recent. 
Yeah, yeah. Or alternatively, we can just go seven years back and say, hey, guys, uh, Swatch just released the System 51 seven years ago. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. Uh, I mean, so f- uh, that that's really uh, kind of the way that we want to introduce our topic of the week, which is the System 51. Yeah. So the, the reason why we have Marshall on the podcast, uh, you know, the, the fact that he's our legal guardian and he adopted us, all that aside, uh, the reason why he's on the podcast Fuck. today is because he's also an owner of the System 51. So I feel As like we've, is, we've owned, I wouldn't say different generations because they're all they're pretty much the same, but we bought it at various times very within different its times. Uh, yeah. produ- production period. Yeah, yeah. Pretty um, much, yeah. Mine would be so I think, the, the earliest example, like right. when it first came out. Oh, I actually had one yeah. as well when it oh, first yeah. came out. Yeah, mine was the red one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And then and, and then and now, you got rid of it? Well, yeah, I got rid of it. Well, we'll get into that later. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can okay. just... Cool. Yeah. And then the one you have now is the Hodinkee 1986. 86. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's the one you have now. And mm-hmm. of course, I just got my system uh, about two weeks ago. Uh, my System Irony Knight. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that I got. So, yeah. uh, you know, just, just having the System 51 really brought up a lot of things that I, I was interested in and a lot of things that I've been reading about mm-hmm. since, you know, it was announced in 2013, 2014. Uh, it's a watch that I've always wanted and it's something that I finally got. And that kind of... Just having owned it for the past two weeks has really... Uh, brought up a lot of thoughts and opinions on it and actually we at the Matic will also be releasing a companion article to this podcast yeah so you can definitely yeah. check that out as well uh, so more, basically for more thoughts basically for people who can't read good that's why we have a podcast as well that's right and yeah. for those of you who can't listen good we have yeah. an article yeah so we, we we've got all our bases covered pretty much yeah but yeah uh if, if we're really going to go in-depth into System 51 and really what it stands for, um, shall we start right at the beginning of Swatch itself? Yeah, yes. Why not? Yeah, like, Marshall, do you want to tell us a bit more about Swatch? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Swatch is, I think it was initially conceived around 1983. Um, I'm not going to go through like a, like a really, really detailed manner but i think for people who do not who don't actually know where uh the, i mean the origins of the brand it's they were conceived in 1983 specifically to combat the uh, the quartz crisis uh, as we know it and swatch literally means second watch and they were actually designed to be um you know casual and disposable so yeah mm-hmm mm-hmm. yep and and you know swatch swatch if i'm not mistaken i think swatch group as a whole uh, started back when, uh, during the quartz crisis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think you know Seiko, of course, was one of the pioneers of the quartz movements, and they were just releasing. I think the initial quartz movements were in the early nineteen seventies, mid seventies, I think. Yeah. And at the mm-hmm. time, they were the they were avant garde. They were the cutting edge, the most accurate, most reliable movements that you could have. But by the 80s, I think the the quartz watches that they were releasing were becoming really cheap. Yeah. Because, you know, technology just progresses so quickly, transistors got smaller, and they could just fit a lot more tech into the same package at a much lower cost. 
And this, of course, led to the infamous Quartz Crisis. And that's when... Uh, what was it again? What, what was the two groups that joined again? Uh, I believe... Tissot and Omega, was it? it? Which was... No, it was Tissot and Omega on one end, and then yeah. the other one's called... Uh, what? A-S-U-A-G, A-Swag or something? A-Swag. A-Swag. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that that was like Longines and Mido and Certino mm, yeah. and a bunch of other mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. And yeah, if I'm not mistaken, those two groups joined and then they were like, okay, we need something to go against this like fucking tsunami of cheap quartz watches that's coming Literally, out of Japan. Yeah. yeah. And and that's when Swatch came out. And and it was very different from what Seiko was doing. I think Seiko was releasing a lot more serious watches. Yeah. Uh, but Swatch was like you know what? We'll do fun watches. So it was like plastic watches, plastic cases, fun yeah. colored straps, uh, but with quartz movements and at a very affordable price. And that's really the genesis of Swatch. And, and I think it's with Swatch, also what saved. Yeah. With Swatch, there was also a lot of collaborations between artists and you know people outside of the watch yeah. industry to have like all yeah. these very interesting designs on their watch like you yeah. you could be could, literally wearing an art piece on your wrist yeah in, in yeah because they were they were definitely designed first yeah yeah so i think whereas the japanese sort of went very much into practicality as yeah. far as quartz watches were concerned they were going to lcd lcd digital watches more functions and things like that yeah the swatch brand sort of went f- the fun way like yeah let's make it like you know we, youthful and trendy instead of more serious and, and let's get more kids and more young adults yeah. to start wearing these watches so i mean obviously it was a system that worked and uh yeah that 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 saved the swiss watch industry and has led us to where we are today and despite the fact that the swiss watch industry as far as mechanical watches are concerned is still going strong uh so is swatch with all their quartz watches and plastic uh, cases, it's still mm-hmm. going strong as well until this day. So, um, uh, have you guys owned any vintage swatches like back in the day when you were kids? Um, I mean, it would have been new back then. It would have been new. It would have been new back then. Um, like, yes. It would be vintage if you still have it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, chances are the plastic would be absolutely falling apart just because of the weather that we have true. here in Malaysia. But, Correct. Um, but do you yeah, guys grew up, have grew up wearing swatches? I, n- I never had a swatch. Uh, it's, it was always like digital for me all the way. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think I did have one swatch as a kid. Uh, I don't remember very clearly, but I think it was one of the very basic swatches, like that blue case and strap with a white dial and numerals all around. And mm. that was kind of where like, I learned how to read an analog dial. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah, before you know all the Casio. I mean, before that, it was Casios and and like whatever digital watches before that. But the Swatch was one that I do remember. Right. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But so, uh, finally, all this has led up to the System Fifty One, uh, which mm-hmm. was announced as we mentioned about seven eight years ago now, and yeah, it is. In a way, it's a little bit of a total reverse in direction, right? So, I mean, to be fair, Swatch has been releasing mechanical watches all this while as well, right? Yeah. With, yeah. with, like, bottom-of-the-barrel ETA movements, I think. 
And uh, then about seven, eight years ago, they finally announced the System 51, which was, you know, when they first announced it, really sounded like something that was cutting edge. So uh, do you guys want to mention a little bit about, you know, like what, what made this System 51 such a great thing, especially you, John, I think, since you got one immediately after it was released? Um, to, I guess, in a way, it is also the marketing, but like, so remember when it first came out, it's like, oh, you know, it's a completely machine-made movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of the parts are like plastic. I As don't think swatch, so, actually. Or, and like, oh, I mean, the case and everything is mm, plastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, oh, one screw holds it all together, which we'll get into a bit later. Uh, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, to me, it was just it was just an interesting take on how. Um. So when they they've introduced. They've reintroduced quartz watches as like this fun design led um, product, right? Whereas mm-hmm. now it's like an automatic movement um, that can introduce it. But to me, I feel like it's, you know, you can introduce this fun, fun designs to the automatic movement. Yeah, and, yeah, to like the yeah, mechanical and, yeah. watch loving crowd. Yeah, and in a in a way, like it it can appeal to to kids. Like you could you could get this for your child to to be like, oh, you know, this is like look at all these moving parts, you know, in this watch as mm-hmm. opposed to like a battery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but what know, what attracted it, you? Because you know, as as we all know, you are our guardian of of a uh, taste and what is considered entry level in the watch world. Yes. You know, you, you are the purveyor of, of taste and class. So what exactly led you to buy a fully automated machine made plastic watch? Um, I would say it's the, well, first of all, the design. I, I do okay. like, okay. I mean, the, the one that I, I got was like the, the all white one with like these colorful dots just speckled on the dial. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, right. If I remember correctly, like some of the dots represented where the jewels are located. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 I think it's um, 19 jewels, I think. And yeah, they yeah. do put all the dots on the dial to reflect that. Yeah. So that did it for me. I was like, this, it okay. looks, it looks nice. It's a it's a pretty fun watch. I can like just wear it and it's anywhere. mechanical. And it's mechanical. Sounds kind of cool. Yeah. So, okay. When um, I got it, what uh, about you, Marsh? Yeah. When yeah. I got it, it was you know it was I was pretty much in the infancy of getting into watches at that time, 2013, 14. I got it um, as sort of like a present to myself when I went to Oxford for my final year. Um, yeah. So when I got the watch. Uh, the initial thinking was like, okay, um, I don't, I didn't have a lot of money back then uh, as a student, and then I would, I already, I've, I've actually already acquired my Orion flight, so for me it was like, okay, is there anything else around the same price range? Because I think when it first came out, um, I remember I paid four hundred and ninety ringgit for it. I don't know if that was the correct price, but it was around that that price range, and it was something for interesting. our US listeners. That's about one twenty, one thirty yeah. US dollars. Yeah, yeah. one, yeah, around, yeah. So I think it was, 
it was a perfect time, I think, to, to get into something that was new and fresh. Um, but, you know, for me, the, I got the, the red one, actually, the red, uh, the red variant. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I eventually, I, I just sold it. <laughs> I didn't actually wear it that much because I think, you know, it just looks a little bit too toyish uh, for my taste. Um, mm-hmm. I was looking for something that's a little, little bit more, um, you know, that it has that sort of like two watch vibe to it. But I just thought that like, this could be like a fun wild card. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's just odd to have something like that. And it's so thick, you know, it, it doesn't sit too well on my wrist as well. Mm-hmm. I just got it purely for the fun of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was, you know, it's very interesting to see how the System 51 design language eventually, you know, it, it kept evolving throughout the years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, eventually it landed on what we see today, you know, the irony and also the holding key collaborations. Those are pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, mm. the, the, I think that was really the thing because back in 2013, 2014 was also, uh, when I first started getting the watches as well. Mm. And I do remember reading the first articles about it and being like, oh my God, that is, that is so cool. Like yeah. having a mechanical watch that is fully, you know, like as we've mentioned again and again, it, it, it's still kind of cool that the whole fabrication of the whole movement is entirely done by robots yeah. without any sort of human intervention. Yeah. So that, that's really cool. But like, like you mentioned, you know, like the first time I handled the System 51, which was in a Swatch store, probably in something in 2014 or 2015, um, like you mentioned, it just felt very toyish. Yeah. And... I didn't really like that. It felt cheap, to put it in a different way. Um, I mean, because that's, that's what it is. Really, yeah, pretty much. But that's not what I was looking for at that mm. point in time. Uh, and then I think they announced the Irony series in like 2016, I want to say. And that that really, they, they really kind of stepped up uh, in terms of the... You know, just, just having the case in steel really makes yeah. a big difference as far mm. as the feel of the watch is concerned. Uh, but yeah, it, it like, like you mentioned, you know, Marsh, um, it, it's kind of weird because it's, as you mentioned, it's, it's thick. It's mm. not, it's not a slim watch. It's, I think 13.8 millimeters yeah. thick, yeah. which is by no means slim, but at the same time, it feels toyish, which is weird. Mm. Mm. You know, I think like it was, having I think, it, sorry, I think it's part of the appeal. Um, yeah, but when I got it right, it was more like I was just fascinated with the way it was made, it was manufactured, and yeah. they were getting a lot of nods by watch enthusiasts. Um, you know, yeah. on, on in the watch scene, everyone was getting one. I think a lot of people were just getting into the black one. So, mm-hmm. yep. you know, it, 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 I think for them, it sort of like invoked a sense of nostalgia. When they were growing up, they had swatches, and now they have, swatch has made a watch that is fit to their taste in the in, i mean not not necessarily like in terms of design but uh i mean in terms of nostalgia it's sort of like invoked that sort of feeling and then yep. it's yeah, not too expensive it doesn't break the bank you know so i think that's that's a selling point for a lot of people when it first launched yeah, yeah. i agree um but i think i think we should at this point i think mention that uh you know why is the watch called the system 51 in the first place Mm. Yeah. Something like um, 15, 51 parts. 51 move, yeah. 51 parts. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so it, it's apparently 51 components in, in mm. the watch movement itself. Mm. So from what I understand, uh, a lot of the components in the System 51 movement is very different from your conventional or traditional watch mm-hmm. in order to make automated assembly possible. So they really simplified a lot of parts. They reduced a lot of like gear trains and running trains and things like that in order to make it as simple as possible in order for you to be able to manufacture it without human intervention. Mm-hmm. And mm. actually one of the first thing I know first things I noticed and I don't know if you guys have is have you guys tried manually winding it? Yeah. Yes. It winds anti-clockwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which really threw me off the first time. Because when I first got it, I mean, obviously the sales assistant didn't tell me anything. And I, I obviously, you know, being a typical asshole watch enthusiast, didn't yeah. want to listen to anything the salesperson had to say. Yeah. Um, I legitly had no idea that you would have to wind it counterclockwise. Because that just goes against every single other watch that I own. And mm. that is just, I think, one example of the things, uh, one of the very fundamental things that they changed in order to make the System 51 possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest uh, the biggest breakthrough for the System 51 is overall, it's the architecture. Uh, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Casey, it was uh, 51 parts. I think it was being held together by a single... Um, I don't know what was that, but the, the center, yeah, yeah. Supposedly, so it's supposedly. yeah, and and also um, another interesting thing is that the movement is actually made entirely out of uh, a material called A carp. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. Forgive my yeah, uh, it, my butchering, but it's A R C A P. So it's basically an alloy of copper, nickel, and zinc. You know, and all these components actually have uh, what we call anti-magnetic properties which sort of yeah. prevents the movement from requiring any sort of adjustments over time, which which is why uh, a lot of System 51s, especially the earlier ones, uh, a lot of them are actually, I, mean, I think most of them, right? Or is it, I'm, I'm not sure, they're all hermetically sealed and there's no way you could actually service yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that sort of brings up uh, one, one thing that I do want to mention, which was the promises as well as the marketing made by... Uh, Swatch when they first came in. I mean, when the, when the System 51 first came in. And that was actually the fact that, uh, firstly, I mean, as we've mentioned again and again, automated uh, assembly. Then again, like you mentioned, the, the ARCAP uh, yeah. components or the material that they used at least. And then also, uh, they actually, uh, the, the balance spring, if, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but one, one very cool part of the, about the Swatch is obviously, you know, the transparent rotor and the fact that you can see the whole movement below the rotor. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things that they did, if you look at the balance uh, bridge and the whole assembly of the escapement, there's no regulator or adjustment mechanism possible there. Mm-hmm. So that, that actually is because when the watch is being assembled by the factories, and uh, we have our usual uh, racing sounds again. Thanks, yeah. John. Well, people uh, are racing home, okay? There's, like, there's going to be a lockdown in like <laughs> half an hour, so... Yeah, yeah. Th- that, that's fair. I think this, this time, racing can be excused. It's excused, yeah. But anyway, as, as I was mentioning, the escapement and the balance spring is adjusted from the factory with lasers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. if you actually really look at the balance uh, wheel very carefully, you can actually see notches that are made by the laser in order to balance the balance uh, wheel. Yeah. Because instead of adding weights or adjusting, you know, the the regulator and stuff like that, you can't do that. So it mm-hmm. uses lasers to take material off to restore the balance mm-hmm. to the force. And that is that is pretty and fucking cool. It is, and the the spring adjustment is also adjusted by lasers as well. So okay. obviously, you know, in concept, that's very cool. Uh, it doesn't need any further adjustment, and yeah. like as you mentioned, it's hermetically sealed, which yeah. is why. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Swatch guaranteed, I think, 10 years of, of uh, like, 10 years of life, I guess, for the mm-hmm. watch, like, before the movement would fail. Mm-hmm. And also guaranteed, uh, this I can't confirm because I can't find any legit sources on this. I don't know if you guys have, but I've seen various sources quote, plus minus five seconds a day, uh, plus minus seven seconds a day, and, like, even up to like plus minus 10, but I couldn't find any official sources. Do you guys have any idea about that? No, I have not um, seen no. anything like that. Yeah, no, because I, I, well, I don't really check any accuracy in my watch because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, likewise, fair. Yeah, <laughs> time doesn't matter, yeah. but yeah, I mean, uh, I was looking at the the price, I mean, the the, the press releases mm. and. It's never ever an actual official press release from Swatch. It's always something that's being quoted by a watch news website or something similar. Mm. So, yeah, I have no idea what their actual promises were. And I think this leads to a good tangent, which is not really a tangent, but it leads us to the next point, which is whether or not Swatch has fulfilled these promises. So... In, in your experience, guys, like just owning this watch for yeah. however many years you've had it, what has your ownership experience been for these watches? In, well, I mean, John and I obviously had the first generation. Mm-hmm. I really sold mine ever since. Um, I checked out with my friend the other day, you know, the guy who I sold the, the first uh, Swatch to, um, the first System 51, and he ruined it. <laughs> and I actually oh, asked if, he, yeah, I, I, I don't know how he did it, but um, I actually asked if he actually brought it to the store. He did not. So that's pretty much the end of the story, I guess. And okay. then, uh, okay. yeah, coming back to my 86 Swatch uh, holding key edition, I don't think I've owned it long enough to really, you know, experience any problems apart from the material just, you know, just getting beaten up because I actually do wear this watch a lot um, mm-hmm. when I first got it. But yeah, that's pretty much about it. I don't actually have any issues so far. I hope I don't jinx it, but yeah. Yeah. What about you, John? How? Um, sorry, can, can no, yeah, I was no, just going to ask, like, Marshall, how long? How long mm. have you had yours? Uh, I believe this one came out 2019. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. so just about a year. Okay. Just about yeah, just or about less. a year or yeah, around there. Mm. Okay. And John, yeah. what about you? Um, my experience, I would say. I mean, like, I know I was getting to. It's obviously a cheap watch, and like, I don't expect everything to be smooth like the wine the winding of it like you mentioned earlier is weird yeah it's also mm-hmm. not the, mm-hmm. the smoothest crown to use but yeah. it is honestly one of the loudest watches i have it's fucking loud that's okay. it's fucking loud like like it, it, it could it could be sitting in my watch box closed and i can still hear this piece of shit move 
the the ticking or the ticking the ticking actually when you the rotor the actually the rotor is also fucking loud when you're when you're spinning it around like it's you just hear everything but you know it's i mean it's it's a 150 dollar watch like what can you expect it's okay like i yeah you, you have to adjust your expectations yeah yeah. So if even I, even if Seiko makes excellent watches at that price that don't take mm-hmm. nearly as loudly or you know have a mm-hmm. weird winding mechanism mm-hmm. and is made from mostly metal, mm-hmm. you can you can check that out on. <laughs> we will talk more about it there, yeah. but yeah, I mean in in my experience, I I've definitely heard all these things that you've mentioned, especially the loudness of the watch. Which I think is one hundred percent the fact that it's made from plastic. Yeah. So the fact that it's made from plastic, I mean the front and back are both acrylic crystals, and then you've got a plastic case as well. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to get any sort of insulation or sound deadening yeah. from from that sort of material. Uh but the system irony that I have is actually surprisingly quiet. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I don't really hear the ticking unless I put it close to my ear. Um, the rotor is still audible, but I would say pretty much on par with something like, for example, a Miyota 9015 mm. with a unidirectional rotor. I, I would say it's somewhere on par with that. It's not especially loud. Yeah. Um, and I think the steel construction actually really helps with that. But since we're on the topic about the promises that Swatch made, I know that the both of you are not really um, very much into watch accuracy, I would yeah. say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I've seen both of you wear watches. And I, I want all of you listeners to hear this right now. Uh, please be aware that John and Marshall put watches on their wrist without setting the time. <laughs> Because to them, apparently, I, I don't understand this, but apparently their idea of watch enthusiasm is being an accessory, not the fact that it tells time, not the history of watchmaking or the importance of chronometric precision. It's apparently just an accessory to these guys. But I, I, I digress because... Um, <laughs> I, th- I think I feel like our listeners already know that I, you yeah. know I'm in it purely for the flex. That's true. That's yeah. fair. Uh, but I, Marshall, I think I just don't. Uh, I just don't care. You know, I just I, I'm just glad that I have to watch, and that's that's the end of it. <laughs> I don't really like. Yeah. Look, I'll, okay. I'll set the uh, watch that, that if actually... I feel like it. But like, yeah, when, exactly. When I when I when I pick up the watch and like strap it onto my wrist, I don't really care what time it's showing. To be fair, um, yeah. yeah. To be fair, I do set my watches depending on you know the time and place. You know, if, if I had to be in an office in a meeting, then yeah, obviously you have to set your watch. But I'm, when I'm around like Casey and John, I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, like so it, what noticed... for me, it's like if I'm bored, um, <laughs> yeah. like like if let's say let's say I've gone out to a restaurant or a cafe or whatever, yeah. and I'm just sitting there, and then conversation is terrible as it usually is with KC, then I'll set my watch then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fair. When you have nothing better to do and exactly. you're stuck somewhere. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, I guess, I guess I should tell the time on my wrist as well. <laughs> actually, actually the, the, thing, the thing is, like, 
even though I know my watch is usually not set, I will still check it for the time and be like, oh, why the fuck did I even bother doing that? And then I whip, which up, then I whip up, up my then I whip up my phone and I'm like, oh, okay, this which is Which brings me up to a point that both of these motherfuckers wear watches and then check their phones for the time. And I don't fucking understand. Because the phone is more accurate. It's it's constantly updating the time. That's why. You see, this is why we're always on time and you're always late. Yeah. (laughs) You're a quartz enthusiast, aren't you? So you would understand and appreciate the good things about, you know, quartz watch or, or something that's a little bit more accurate. Yes, but with a little bit of effort, your mechanical watches can also tell good time. Maybe not as accurate as a quartz, but you can tell good time. That's what a watch is for, to tell time. No, no, it's for the flex. But, but all this leads up to the point, which is in, in the two weeks that I've owned my System 51, mm-hmm. despite all the promises that have been made by Swatch, uh, mm-hmm. firstly, I'll say that uh, it does run uh, for about 90 plus hours, which is what Swatch rec- uh, endorses, which is what Swatch specifies. Um, uh, more and more races. More, pe- home. more people going uh, home. Yes. Yeah, before they the should. lockdown begins. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but Swatch, so what's kind of cool is they promised all that accuracy. They also promised 90 hours of power reserve, which is very cool. And it's something that I can verify, at, at least in my watch, that it does last about 90 hours on a full wind. That is true, yes. But my watch is about 30 seconds fast a day, mm. which is not great. Um I mean, even Seiko 5s are like plus minus 30 seconds, but are usually well under that. Well, Seiko always um, underestimates their accuracy. Yeah, so. yeah. So I just mean that, you know, if you're gonna... It's better for you to over... I mean, uh, under-promise and over-deliver rather than to over-promise and under-deliver. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, yeah I mean... It it was one very disappointing thing about the System 51. But again, as we've mentioned, the System 51 was not a watch that I bought for accuracy's sake. So I'm just kind of living with that. I that That's not a big deal. But it does bring us uh, to the next point, which is what you can find on the internet if you were to Google long-term System 51 ownership. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but if you just Google that, like just System 51 long-term or something to that effect, Mm -hmm. you will actually find a bunch of posts on forums and other sort of sites where they are complaining about things like the accuracy being totally out of whack, uh, things like the power reserve going from 90 hours to 40 hours in the span of a couple of years. And then obviously, you know, as you guys mentioned um, it's not a serviceable movement because it's hermetically sealed. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like after two years when the warranty is over, if all these problems happen to you and you go back to Swatch, they're just like, oh, um, too bad. Buy a new one. Yeah, bye. Mm. And I, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel that's a good move. And going beyond that, uh, the system irony, one of the selling points that they mentioned was the fact that the movement in the System 51 irony can be serviced, right? So at least that sort of brings in that sort of longevity and the sort of appeal that 
a lot of watch enthusiasts like the fact that you can have a watch go on and on for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but after that, they actually said that, oh, we don't really service it. We just replace the escapement mechanism. Mm-hmm. And then following that, it turns out that they replaced the whole movement. Okay. And then for following that, there have been reports from people who say that they send the System 51 irony back to Swatch and they say, oh, sorry, we can't do anything with this. We can't service it. So, I mean, seriously, Swatch, uh, firstly, sponsors, but what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? What the fuck? Get get your shit together. Why why the fuck are you making these sort of promises if you can't even keep up the illusion of being able to fulfill that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's something I have right? to agree. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you know it's it's quite on brand if you think about it. Like swatches are disposable and casual, but I think it's important to remind people and not not stamp on your warranty and just say like, yeah, you'll cover for the next ten years or whatever whatever. But it's important mm-hmm. to remind people that these are supposed to be disposable, you know, you to you know, in order to manage expectations a little bit. So I mean in this regard it's really unacceptable. Um I can't imagine um, okay, so one of the reasons why I sold my first uh first um system fifty one was because I realized that it was hermetically sealed and there's just no way I could fix it. And in any case, if it breaks down, then that's the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I prefer yep. not to deal with that and I just you know, just sold it and didn't really care. <laughs> and then, and then it broke down in the uh, yeah, it someone did. else. It's so unlucky, but though, yeah. we, though we don't know how it died, maybe yeah, he, yeah. maybe he was the problem. We don't know. Yeah, but be. I mean, you know, the, these are sort of things. I, I, I totally agree as far as uh, managing expectations is concerned. But if the expectation is based on what the watch company says, meaning ninety hours power reserve yeah. plus minus seven seconds a day. And as well as uh, ten years of longevity, and then the watch dying in three or four years, I I don't think you can blame the consumer for that because the expectations were set by the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's it's a little bit hard to say. I don't want to go too much. Like I don't want to blame Swatch too much because again, these are reports from consumers on watch forums and stuff. Um, I don't think anyone has done a survey of System 51 owners to really get an idea of uh, what the general longevity of this movement is. Um, But, I mean, just the fact that you have these sort of reports and then Swatch just saying too bad is not a good reflection on that, I don't think. And uh, actually, an an interesting follow-up to this episode would be whenever I go back to Australia... And mm. I have no idea when that would be. Like, I've literally been away for, oh, way it's over a year, a year now. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, to actually go back and see how my watch is doing. Yeah, <laughs> my, yeah. That, that would actually 51. be very useful. Like, it's actually... Because like, yours is a first gen. Yeah, because mine's the first gen. So it's been... This is it's like reaching its, its later parts of its supposedly 10-year life, right? You mm-hmm. know, being a six or seven-year watch <sighs> yeah so it would be, be interesting to know how it stood the test of yeah, time yeah yeah i, I mean gran- gran- was... granted i haven't i haven't like i it's not a watch that i, I wear that that often but i do bring yeah. it back to malaysia's um yeah. and wear it here occasionally yeah. as well um so it has I, I was it has gonna seen, say that like a few bit of use 
you know, back and forth between two mm. different climates. Yeah. And, mm. yeah and but it, it's very far from a daily watch for you. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it's still a very useful sample, I think, to know how your watch has fared. But also, I mean, your watch probably has seen a lot less use compared to a lot of other people. I would yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I think this brings us to the next thing and I want to address this, which is the System 51 and the possible reasons why um, the watch, the, the, the way it's designed and the architecture of the movement itself, why it may be compromised as far as quality is concerned. And if, if you guys want to check it out on the internet, um, we're, we're going to quote from... Uh, watchguy.co.uk, who is a watch servicer in the UK, obviously, uh, who goes by the name of Christian. And he actually bought one of the original System 51s and did a whole teardown on it. So uh, one of the things that Swatch mentioned, as you, as I think you mentioned, Marsh, is the fact that there's this one central screw yeah. that holds the whole movement together, right? Mm-hmm. So first off, that's a lie. <laughs> mm. Right, because mm. the, the central screw actually just holds the rotor in place. So it's basically just your standard rotor screw. Yeah. Now, the reason why I think they can say that and get away with it is because the rest of the movement, or the rest of the plates on the movement, so, you know, the base plate and the, the balance bridge and all those parts are not screwed together, it's but welded on, right? together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're soldered on. Yeah, yeah. So... There's no screws. So technically, yes, you can say that the central screw is the only screw holding the movement together because the rest of the movement is soldered together. (laughs) So technically, yes, you can say that. But I mean, that kind of goes against what people were thinking when they said that. So that's one. The The first thing is the central screw is not real and all the parts are soldered together. So you can't really take them apart without destroying the movement. Uh, the next thing is the escapement is fully plastic. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I think, Marsh, you mentioned the, the whole ARCAP mm, uh, yeah. material for the rest of the watch. I think that concerns uh, the gear train as well as the, the bridges and plates. Yeah. Yeah. But the escapement itself, meaning the escape wheel and the pallet fork, are both plastic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. according to the tests that were done by Christian on uh, watchguy.co.uk, um, the, the, the performance of the watch on the time grapher is, well, to, to put it simply, it's fucking shit. Um, if you are going to put a Seiko 5, even the worst performing Seiko 5, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see the kind of uh, beat error and daily variation, positional variation that you will get from a System 51. And that's kind of disappointing as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, just just taking all these factors and putting it together, the fact that it's a new movement with a new architecture, mm. with relatively um, different materials, shall we say, yeah. uh, as well as, you know, that balance spring that is... That is uh, adjusted by robots with lasers. Um, it sounds like it should be very precise, maybe self-lubricating thanks to plastic and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think all of these factors do suggest that the longevity of this watch is compromised. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, 
it doesn't sound like a very durable movement. Mm, yep. I mean, just just to like expand upon the uh, plastic escape wheel and padded fork. So like, um, as you say, watch guy or Christian. Mm-hmm. He also says that like, you don't see this much plastic even in the cheapest Chinese movements. And that's true. Like, I mean, you can get yeah. very, very decent and respectable Chinese movements and it's all, you know, metal. Yeah, um, but even, even the, the even cheapest like the ST, Chinese movement is all brass. Yeah. Mm. Even the cheapest Chinese movements are all metal. Yeah, exactly. You won't find a plastic escape wheel and, and pallet fork there. You know, just, just for so, like a bit, a bit more than the system 51 you could actually just you could buy the um the seagull 1963 mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with the sd1901 no, exactly um yeah. with a column wheel yep you know for just a little bit more money than this like okay fine if you want you want you want to say that labor is more expensive in switzerland you can argue that but if but what but what labor robots, is robots? But, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. That's, that's where I'm getting at. Like the, I mean, <laughs> you're not paying the robots to do anything, you know. Yeah. It's the year two thousand, so, the distant future. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of the year two thousand, uh, Marshall actually brought up an interesting point, uh, and that's our, that's our, our weekly, weekly Five yeah. Concords reference. Uh, please sponsor us, Jermaine and uh, <laughs> Brit. 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 Yeah. But uh, Marsh, uh, you did mention as well about something called the Tissot Idea Research 2001, which was actually something I'd heard about but don't really know much about. So could you tell us more about what this is and what relation it has to the System 51 of today? Right. Okay, so um, I when I was in London around 2015, I actually, uh, I would visit, you know, the flea markets a lot. And then there's this one day that I actually stumbled upon this particular watch. It's actually called the Buller, Buller Astrolon. It had a really interesting aesthetic. Um, as far as the dial is concerned, it's just it's not it's not too uh, it's not too flashy. It's really like it's just plain. But when you turn over to the case back, uh, it will reveal um, uh, sort of like a plastic movement. And and that was the time when I was actually wearing my System Fifty One and. It sort of like sparked and sort of like an interest and a curiosity, which I eventually, um, you know, started digging more about this watch. I bought the watch uh, at a pretty cheap price, so I started doing a bit more research. So apparently, the Tissot Idea Research two thousand one was uh, it's sort of like a it's like a project that was launched back in nineteen seventy one, right? And then, as we have mentioned earlier, okay, so way back, um, yeah, the way beginning back, beginning of quartz watches, correct? Yeah, so. Right. Uh, th- I think around 20 years earlier, in the early 50s, Tissot and Omega joined together to form this uh, uh, sort of like this uh, consortium called SSIH, Society Swiss Industry Hologerie. Um, and then you need to Tissot, say it more French. Hologerie? Yeah. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> but sure, yeah. Sure. That, yes. That'll work. Yeah. So Tissot actually uh, tried to be innovative and was one of the first ones to launch and market the anti magnetic watch. Right, so that mm-hmm. pretty much led to the con- uh, the conceptualization of this Tissot research idea two thousand one, uh, which was a plastic watch. Um, as far as the movement is concerned, um, it's actually f- uh, almost I think eighty percent of the movement is actually made of plastic, and it's it was designed to be self lubricating. 
um, that mm -hmm. caliber was called 2250, if I remember correctly, and it was named Auto Loop, which means you know auto lubrication. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and uh, hey, yeah, hey, and hey, all hey, the models hey. that the model the watch brands that eventually adopted this movement, uh, they would usually name the watches Astralon and Cital S Y T A L, which I you know it's not something that you hear a lot these days. Mm -hmm. And yep. there are definitely some. I mean, there are some metal parts within the movement. There are the you know the balance wheel, and also the mainspring barrel. But I think for 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 a, for a watch of uh, that time, it was something very fresh, very new, and it was one of the very first um, shockproof systems that Tissot developed. And they sort of lessened the parts from ninety one parts to fifty two, which is why I sort of made that connection. Like, oh wow, System fifty one has fifty one parts, right? But for mm -hmm. this for this particular auto loop movement is fifty two parts, you know, and I just thought it was a very interesting uh, uh, connection. Although I mean, Swatch never actually made the the official connection to the Tissot idea, but you know, as someone who's very interested in the history of a of a movement like that, um, it it shares a lot of similarities. Really, you know, the the, the move. I mean, the watches that actually take on that movement were also sealed hermetically. Um, and similarly to the System 51, you know, they initially wanted the watch to be, uh, like I've mentioned before, self-lubricating and it requires no servicing and it was affordable, right? And then uh, unfortunately, it was it, the, the, the idea was conceived during the time prior to the Quartz Crisis and unfortunately, yep. the, the group, the SSI, sorry, the SSIH group, um, eventually, you know, fell into deep financial trouble. And then, as we've also mentioned, the ASUAG, A-S-U-A-G, uh, is actually, a, I don't even know how to pronounce this, uh, the, the actual <laughs> term for that, but they yeah, also... I think it's Germans. So, yeah, 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 seems like it, right? So it was, uh, they, they were facing liquidation as well. So I think that's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why the, you know, Tissot idea never made it to, made it to uh, the masses and also into the modern day of watchmaking because everything... Just fell apart way before the. I mean, in in, at, mm -hmm. in anticipation of the quartz crisis, and then eventually we saw the the uprising of Swatch, and then yeah, unfortunately they were just it's a forgotten movement, I think. But I'll you say can like a yeah. Sorry, I was saying in like a fitting form of role reversal in a way. Mm. Like I believe the Tissot Powermatics, those are essentially the System Fifty One movements, isn't it? No, uh, the Powermatics are actually the new ETA movements, uh -huh. uh, the one with the 80 hours power reserve. Yeah. The ones that are based on the System 51 yeah. are the Swissmatics. Right, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. The Swissmatics. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsors? So it's actually kind of... Kind of <laughs> yeah, sponsors Tissot. <laughs> but it, it's, Tissot, we're really shouting you up here, so... Yeah, yeah man. I don't mind it. But uh, I think one, one interesting thing that you mentioned was 1971 hermetically sealed plastic mm. uh, components yeah. and a total of 52 parts yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so after about 50 years, what Swatch was able to come up with is the identical thing but minus one component. Yeah. I mean, So that's what 50 years of 40 progress years, gets 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. Hey, no, no 1971 to... 71 like, to yeah, yeah, 50. yeah, 50, 50. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm a lawyer. Oh. I can't count, so... Wait, wait, sorry, wait, wait. 2030, it's about 42 years. Yeah, exactly. 42 oh, years. fuck, okay. 42 years. Jesus 42 Christ. Years. Yeah, we're, we're not good at Asians math. Asians that can't math. I mean, it's pretty yeah. late. So. We, we have the only Asians who can't math on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, uh, ethnicity. Yeah, pretty much. But I think it's it it's about time to wrap up. I think we've addressed a lot of things about system, as well as the history behind it. We've been but super educational, we man. We really it's have. It's a really, really technical have. episode, I must say. Yeah. It, it feels, has been very yeah. factual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, before we end, I think we should offer a little bit of consumer advice. And uh, would you guys like to mention, you know, like who who is the System 51 for? And what advice would you give to someone who wants to buy it? And let's start with you, Marsh. Like, what, what do you think? So my initial, um, my initial recommendation was to those who wanted to get into watches but don't necessarily have the funds to do so. But, you know, after some deliberation, I think, you know, the, the, the System 51 is not necessarily for, you know, the newbie on the block. Um, I say this because from personal experience, when I got into the System 51, it did not, it did not satisfy that sort of, you know, that, that hunger to, to, to actually own sort of like a Swiss mechanical watch at that particular price point. So I, I, I thought like maybe, you know, now that I've owned the, the, the System 51 of, you know, the Hodinkee edition, the 1986 uh, reissue. Um, I just felt like this is a watch that's meant for people who are, you know, they're looking for something a little bit fun, a uh, little off the beaten path than what they are usually collecting. You know, it's a fun watch. It's not something that you should take yourself seriously with. Um, so that's the kind of recommendation I would give to people who are interested in the System 51. Okay. Uh, mm. What about you, John? What, what, what do you think? Who would you recommend a System 51 to? I think what Marshall said earlier in the episode, like really hit it on a nail for me, where it's more of an, it's in a way a very nostalgic factor yeah. to buy a Swatch as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because like, especially if you've grown up wearing, you know, these fun plastic watches that were quartz, and then now you have this fun plastic watch that is, you know, grown up and mechanical mm-hmm. uh yeah. like it's as you say a, a fun addition into a collection that you have it's not going to be your first the first watch the first mechanical watch that you get it might not even be your second even if the name suggests that yeah. but like mm-hmm. it's a fun <laughs> colorful addition to whatever watches you already own and as i said earlier like you know it if you have if you have kids that you want to introduce to the world of you know automatic watches of mechanical watches this is also a great a great start when you mm-hmm. at the same time you know you have all these fun colors that you know kids would be would enjoy i suppose to see like you know mm-hmm. spinning around the dial or yeah. or you know, the rotor at the back for example mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that would be the target audience i'd like to add to that um mm. i just felt like maybe the system 51 is getting like more and more expensive i think over the years initially initially yeah. it started off with like what 490 bucks which is 120 us dollars i bought my um system 51 for 170 which is like 700 ish your irony is not thousand you know casey so yep so i remember buying mine mind. for like 180 aussie which would be like 500 something yeah it's around there okay. i think yeah ringgit. Yeah. yeah so prices have definitely been hiking but i think that may also be the fact that the ringgit has not been doing well mm. against the us dollar or the swiss franc and also yeah. inflation mm, yeah yeah yes so also inflation but, something to bear in mind uh yeah. yeah as for my take uh personally i'm a bit more of a 
a technical guy, as I think you guys know by now. Uh, I like movements and the mechanisms behind it. I just feel that if you're going to go, if you really want to talk about mechanical complications, you're really talking about stuff like chronographs and uh, annual calendars, perpetual calendars, moon phases and things like that. And you're really going to reach very high price tags very quickly. Uh, and this is something that I mentioned in the article as well. So do check out the matic.blog for more thoughts on this. But if you are someone who has been collecting a lot of watches for a long time and you're looking for something that's a little bit novel, something that's a little bit different, yeah. but at the same time that is not too pricey, something that has um, you know, very unique mechanisms and engineering behind it without breaking the bank, then I think the System 51 is something that is a very good reminder that you don't have to pay crazy prices in order to enjoy mechanical watchmaking. And you don't have yeah. to be too serious about it. That's yeah, something yeah. I like to add. You, you, mm. Exactly. You, you can go something very playful with the normal System 51 series. If you want something a little bit more serious, you can also go with the Irony series, which has more um, serious and subtle designs, I guess you could say. So yeah, that's that's our bit of consumer advice, and that's an, about an hour long ramble about the System Fifty One <laughs> and the history of Swatch, <laughs> as well as Japanese and and Swiss watchmaking industries. So yeah, uh, it's about time to call an end to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Casey and John John Show. The Casey and John John Show may cause abdominal discomfort, flatulence, reduced sex drive, and alcohol dependence. The Casey and John John Show is approved by one out of ten doctors. Casey and John John do not take any responsibility for any side effects experienced from listening to their podcast.